We're working through the seven questions here. Uh, week six, so uh, just two more to go this week and next week. And um, uh, this week we're going to look at the question, is it ever right to kill? Um, uh, and uh, just for your interest, next week is going to be, is God really bothered about sex, porn and all that? So those are the, those are the two that we've got left. Um, and uh, I'm going to pray, because I think as ever, just aware of God's, uh, the need of God's help. And uh, then we'll crack on. Father, thank you so much for this series. Thank you that you've helped us together grapple with some really big questions. And uh, Lord, I simply ask for your help as I speak. I simply pray, Lord, that you would um, uh, enable me to bring helpful and clear teaching from the Bible. And I pray all those that listen, Lord, you'd help them to really engage with it. Help them to um, be uh, stimulated and uh, uh, impacted by your word, I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, just say how this thing works is that you're free, you're free to text any questions you have about the message in to that number. And then um, after the message, we'll, we'll do 10 minutes or so Q&A and we'll try and gather together those questions that will probably be most relevant for them, for most people. And hopefully um, look at it that way. Okay, is it ever right to kill? To clarify, we are talking about kill, killing humans rather than animals. Um, It's important to clarify that because the answer would be different, biblically. Um, So is it ever right to kill uh, another person, other people? Um, What this question obviously does is it touches on biblical ethics. So what what, what are ethics? Ethics are moral principles that govern behaviour. So if any of you uh, ever listen to Radio 4, sometimes there's a programme on that called The Moral Maze. And what they will do, they will present the most convoluted, complex scenario you can imagine morally and then say, what to do? And you realise, oh my goodness. Well, um, I guess this question's a little bit like that. Uh, Is it ever right to kill? Um... There are three main principles, as far as I can see, that underpin um, the biblical Christian ethic when it comes to this, and they will guide everything I say over this next half an hour or so. Firstly, that God is the source of life, the giver of life, and the Lord of life. Um, Secondly, that mankind is made in the image of God, and that we've been sent into God's creation as procreators and promoters and preservers of life. And thirdly, death is an imposter in God's original creation and an enemy. Okay, so just quickly again, God is a source of life, giver of life, Lord of life. We, mankind, are made in God's image and we have been sent into creation to procreate and promote and preserve life. And then uh, finally, death is seen biblically as an imposter into God's creation and an enemy. Um, Everything we're going to look at today, and we're going to look at suicide, assisted suicide, murder, manslaughter, self-defence, defence of others, capital punishment and war. (laughs) (laughs) Through that... (laughs) Yeah, we are. I'm going to be asking the question, is this permitted... Prohibited or precarious? Okay? When I say precarious, I mean, ooh, could be that, 
could be that. An issue of conscience, if you like, but I, I needed a word that started with P. So, uh, <laughs> permit, <laughs> permitted, prohibited, precarious. Now, it's obviously going to be hard to drill down into any of those subjects because of the time that we have, um, but we'll try and maybe, uh, uh, through the Q&A, go into a little bit more depth, and then also, please, if you want to come and explore the Christian faith, biblical ethics, blah, 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 come along to the obstacle course. It starts this Thursday at the Grafton, 7.30pm. Love to have you there. Just... These are on the chairs. Just sign up. Top three, your top three questions will be included in the course. Three-week course. Three consecutive Thursdays at the Grafton. Please don't leave it till Thursday. So we're going to try and involve, include your questions into the evening. So I need a bit of time to at least give them some thought. So please uh, register today, Monday, Tuesday. That would help me a lot more as I prepare. So take one of those and do that. We'd love to have you there. 7.30 at the Grafton. Okay. Suicide. Uh, Genesis 2, verses 16 to 17. The Lord God commanded the man, this is in Eden, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So there's the God in the garden with the man, God's very permissive uh, posture, do what, really do whatever you like, eat whatever you like. There's just one. And there's a prohibition, don't eat from that tree. In the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. What this teaches us is that, in a very fundamental sense, that disobedience of God's commands are a form of suicide. Don't do that, because in the day you do, you do, you'll die. You're basically going to kill yourself. It's important to see that. And then in Genesis 3, the next chapter, the serpent comes to the woman and says, you won't surely die. God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And so here we see that Satan encourages this suicide through deceit. I want to make a, I want you to just register that thought. It's very important. We'll get to the end of this point in a minute and I'll bring it together. There were two Bible heroes who clearly just came to a point where they despaired of their life. Elijah and Jonah. You find that in 1 Kings 19 verse 4, Elijah, Jonah 4 verse 8, Jonah. Um, they, ca- they both came to a point where explicitly they felt it would be better to die than to live. And yet neither of them took their lives because they had an understanding that it wasn't theirs to take. There was a fundamental fear of God issue where they got to a point where life looked very bleak and as far as they were concerned it would be better to die but they didn't because they understood that it's not mine. It's God's life. I've been created in the image of God. I don't, I don't get to do that. So there's a fear of God uh, foundation which no matter how bad you're feeling it stops you from doing something like that. Interestingly, the only person I could think of in the Bible, who did take their own life was Judas. And we're told in Luke 22, verse 3, and John 13, 27, that Satan entered him. If God is the giver of life, Satan is the destroyer of life. And if he can deceive and discourage you to the point of taking your own, he's won a very big victory. All life is God's. My life is God's. And no matter how bad it gets... I don't get to finish it. As I was preparing this, I felt it was important to do a pastoral appeal at this point. Because I feel there's numbers of people that, in this area, this is a real thing. This isn't just theory. 
And I, I want to come alongside you as best I can and encourage you away from deception where it's got to such a point when it gets to a point where that seems better there's a deception that's happened I'm not saying life isn't tough, I'm not saying any of those things but there's a deception that happens when in your mind that is better and a a discouragement because you just think there's no way out of here I tell you there is there is by the grace and power of Jesus Christ there is and this isn't religious waffle. This is not religious waffle. It might be painful. And it might involve God working in you in a way that you've never really experienced up to this point. But I tell you, there's a way out. So I really want you to hear that. It's really, really important. Suicide is prohibited. And this gospel that we preach is a gospel of life in all its fullness. Which is not necessarily a life of ease, a life where everything happens the way you want it, where you get everything you want. No, but it is life in all its fullness. That is the promise of the gospel. That is, Jesus said, I have come. The thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance. That is the promise of Christ. And it doesn't mean you don't walk through the valley of death at times and the shadows and seasons where you're, man, what's the way through? Absolutely we do. Some more than others. Some more than others. But the result will be that heavenly city. Those, if you've ever read Pilgrim's Progress, the celestial city, where there'll be no more tears and no more crying, no more pain. Eternity with Jesus. That's the promise. So suicide prohibited. Assisted suicide or euthanasia. Now this is tricky because it often comes with a big compassion label, doesn't it? Seen as a compassionate thing. When you're faced with someone who, if only they had the physical ability, they would kill themselves. But maybe they're paralysed and so they actually can't physically. And they say, look, if I had my faculties, I would do this. My life is a living hell. Please just help me here. When someone does that, that's a, that's, there's a lot going on there emotionally. When they appeal to your friendship or appeal to your kindness, appeal for your help, please just do for me what I would do for myself but can't. It's very complex and it's very emotive, which is why it's key that you have guiding principles. Because if you do not have guiding principles whereby you have established them by your conscience and you won't move beyond them, then in that moment... Emotion can lead you to do all kinds of things. Clarity is vital here. We need clarity on something that's really important that we need to, I want to just stop and get us to think about. Is the pain of being alive greater than the pain of being dead? Let's imagine someone's life who, maybe, maybe before some kind of accident, they were very physical, engaged in all kinds of things, and had a terrible accident and paralysed from the, from the neck down. And their, 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 their raison d'etre was the physical activity. They skiing, snowboarding, sailing, you name it, they did. And they look at you and they say, that was my life. This is far worse than death. Please help me. At that point, you need to, you need to know in your own mind, is it? Is it worse than death? What happens after death? You need to know. Are we eternally conscious? 
I believe the Bible teaches that we are eternally conscious, all of us. That our consciousness goes on forever, in heaven or in hell. I believe that. Convinced of that, biblically, no matter how hard it is. It's a hard doctrine. It's not an easy doctrine, but I'm convinced of it. The way Jesus spoke, it's clear that's what he believed, I would say. And so there's actually a real, very real dilemma in assisting someone to end their life because you're not ending their existence. See, it's not as simple as that. If you're a believer, if you believe the Bible, it's really not as simple as that. There are all kinds of implications eternally. And somehow, we have to find a way as shallow and superficial as you might even feel you are as you're helping that person, we have to find a way for helping them find Christ in that scenario. And all of us face situations where you're talking to someone who's been through something you never have, and you say these things and you talk of Jesus, and you think, How, who am I to say anything? You know? you think, I've got nothing to speak into this situation. And yet I do believe that God in his mercy, if we do it humbly, can use our funny little words and actually really bring an incredible impact to someone. So we've, got to, we've just got to be clear on what we think on these things. These things have been and will be increasingly um, brought to the fore in, in society and culture. And increasingly public opinion probably go towards it's okay to assist someone in their suicide. You probably need to give a little bit of thought to the way we preserve life as well, from the, which is almost a different whole topic in itself. But if you, if you get to a situation medically where you're able to preserve someone's life in such a way that at some point you create for yourself a decision of ending their life. Because actually they're not able to live their life without this machine, that thing, you know, they're all but dead or are they? You, you, we, have to, we have to grapple with this stuff ethically. There's a lot there. I know I'm going to open some cans of worms today. I'm aware of that. But we've just got to, you know, if we just start the journey, then we can start it. But we've got to, we've got to ask ourselves these questions. But what I would say is this, this is prohibited biblically. We do not have the right to snuff someone else's life out in this way. We believe in a gospel of eternal life. And a gospel, a, a, a gospel whereby if we come to know Christ, this, knowing Jesus in this life is really just a taster. It starts, and it's really just the beginning. There is an eternal knowing of him. Not just in quality of eternal, but in quantity, that it goes on forever. And I believe biblically that there is an eternal conscious torment outside of Christ. I do. So prohibited. Murder. What is murder? Well, premeditated, the premeditated intentional taking of life. Um, the dictionary also defines it as unlawful. That's interesting. We'll look at that in just a moment. The first murder is in Genesis 4, verse 4 to 7, where Cain murdered his brother Abel out of envy. They both brought a sacrifice to the Lord. God had regard for Abel's sacrifice, not for Cain's. Cain's, uh, uh, Cain's uh, whole uh, disposition from that point on was downcast, and he started to plot against his brother, took him out into the field, and murdered him. Right from the very beginning, God condemns this. We get in the Ten Commandments, you shall not uh, murder. Um, very often, revenge is, is tied in with murder. Normally, there's something going on. You feel wronged in some way. Someone's let you down, stitched you up, betrayed you, hurt you. 
Normally that's what's going on in a situation of murder. There's revenge right in the thick of it. I want to say this now. The revenge trajectory, where it goes, is an absolute nightmare. It really is a terrible deception. If there is any revenge in your heart over someone, any, if you are plotting revenge on anyone, there's something, in, there's something you are actually either uh, deliberately, um, even if it's subtle, but you're hurting someone because they hurt you. I tell you, it is, it is, um, it's got death written all over it. When you look at situations like Northern Ireland, and uh, just uh, 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 this wall of hostility between the Catholics and the Protestants and the various paramilitaries and the things they do, it uh, is just horrific. But what it builds up over time, the tit for tat, tit for tat, you hurt me so I will hurt you, and that will put you right. No, but now you've hurt me, and I didn't do it that bad, so now I'm going to hurt you back worse. And you see it's, it is at the heart of fallen humanity and sinfulness. It really is a, a terrible thing. You see it in the Balkans. You see it, you see it, the, the problem with the, the Kenyan thing and the Kenyan uh, um, elections. The reason why that's so delicate is because there's tribal tensions there that are built on histories of people having wronged one another. And people having viewed, you've had the upper hand politically. You've had more power than us. Right? We're going to show you. And you get this revenge back and forth. It is horrific. And we've got to take it very, very seriously. Um, I don't know if you remember um, Tariq Jahan. Tariq Jahan was a father of a son who, of his son who was killed in the riots in Birmingham. Um, three young Asian men uh, defend, were defending their businesses while the riots were kicking off, and um, uh, three cars deliberately um, rammed them and, and killed them. And at that point, it, things were going to spiral into chaos in Birmingham. And Tariq Jahan, who was the father of one of those young men, he stood up and he called for calm. And they reckon that simply by that calling for calm, in that moment, the whole Birmingham situation changed from one that could have spiralled out of control. One man who was willing to say, let's not go down the revenge road. Let's not murder. It takes massive faith. Massive faith. As a Christian, you've got to have a robust faith if you don't take revenge. The Bible says this about revenge in Romans 12. It's very, very important. It says this, Romans 12, 19 to 21. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it's written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Wow. That's not just letting the person off, that's saying, I'm going to love you, but I'm going to trust that God will put things right. That me trying to avenge you will not put it right, but it will start a spiral of hatred that my great-great-great-grandchildren will still be suffering from. But I trust in a God who will one day, either in this age or the next, put every wrong right. Can a murderer be redeemed? Maybe you're here and you've murdered someone. Maybe you're here and you've taken a life. Can a murderer be redeemed? Yes. Moses was a murderer. King David, a murderer. Both saved by the grace of God. Both redeemed and both forgiven. But you know what? We're all murderers actually. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 21. You've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his, with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to, to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Guilty, Your Honour. Guilty. I've been angry in my heart at certain people. 
felt that. And so, oh, you start to realise, okay, it's not just the act, it's the heart. We all stand guilty. At this point, I need to open another can of worms. I'm hesitant because this is not what this sermon's about, but I think it's important to make a comment on abortion. Abortion wouldn't fit into this category from a dictionary perspective because the dictionary says it's an unlawful premeditated taking of life. And our government has decided that it's, that it's not unlawful, therefore it doesn't stand in that regard. I would say undoubtedly before God that abortion is murder. It's a premeditated, intentional act of destroying a defenceless life. And I'm not pretending that it's always simple or straightforward. But you know, most murders aren't. Most murders aren't. You heard this week of Christina Edkins who was stabbed for no reason on a bus by someone she didn't know. Very unusual. Highly unusual. The vast majority of murders are committed within relationships of people that know one another. And something happens, either someone just blows, after 30 years of abuse, they just switch and stab the person. Or something else. There's some horrific argument and something is said that so infuriates that person, they just blow and they, and they, and they kill that person. That is how most murders are. Most murders are complex. They're not straightforward. And yet we are clear in our legislation that it's wrong. We are clear. I think we need to be clear that even with all of its complexity, abortion remains inherently and inexcusably wrong. I'm not trying to stir controversy for the sake of it, but I do think it's vital that you speak up for the voiceless, those who can't say anything. And it mustn't be forgotten and put to the edge of our national conscience. It's a huge deal. Murder is prohibited. But praise God for the gospel of forgiveness. That any of us here that carries guilt for having murdered another person, no matter what age or development, that in Christ there is forgiveness. That in Christ there is grace as we repent. That we can know the wonder of standing before God with a clear conscience and standing before others without shame and speaking of the forgiveness that is through the blood of Jesus. Manslaughter. The Bible makes provision for situations such as manslaughter in the Old Testament law. There were six cities, they were called cities of refuge. And throughout the land of Israel, they were spaced out in roughly equal areas so that if you killed someone accidentally, you could run to that city and then the person that was chasing you to have revenge would not be allowed in and you were were allowed to stay there and be safe. Manslaughter is when you accidentally kill someone, or you kill someone and it's not, it's not, it's not premeditated, it's not, you've not planned it. Maybe you had a fight and you, I don't know, you, you hit someone in a fight and they fell onto a concrete floor and whacked their head and had a fatal injury. That would be manslaughter. Obviously it's prohibited, but as far as it goes, in the sense you can't stop yourself accidentally killing someone. We, the Bible recognises we live in a fallen world. Where things happen, you think, oh man, that was never supposed to, that, that, how did that get there? Terrible things just happen and develop. But we do also believe in the gospel of the redemption of all things. That we won't always be like that. 
You won't always live in this life where you do just that little thing there and then it became that and it became, and it became that. But an age is coming where that won't be the case anymore. Self-defence. Kill or be killed. This is tricky. This is really tricky. Many assume it's okay. I think. It's tough to justify biblically. Let's have a look at it, shall we? (laughs) The closest thing I could find to... There was a situation in Luke 4 where the, the people took Jesus to the brow of a hill to throw him off. They were so incensed by what he said. And we're told that he walked, he just, they say he gets to the brow, the brow of a cliff to throw him off, he's surrounded by a crowd, and he just walks through the midst of them. Right? So he didn't just go, okay then, you know, and, you know, he knew it wasn't his time. He knew it wasn't his time. But neither did he kill them. Yeah? So he, he was proactive, but he didn't kill them. He just walked through the midst of them. To intentionally kill for self-defence, I think, puts you on thin ice. I think. Even doing what needs to be done in order to protect yourself is not as straightforward as it sounds if you're a follower of the way. If you're a believer in Jesus and you're a follower of what they used to call the way, listen to Jesus, your Lord. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. What do we do with that? If at this point you start saying things like, you can't take that literally, you have to stop and say, well, what did he mean? What did he mean by this? Because this is radical. Listen to a... An old preacher called Campbell Morgan from the 1930s, based in London, he says this. The old economy, the old way of doing things, proceeded from the centre of personal rights, but the new proceeds from the centre of delight in undeserved and unnecessary generosity. So our centre of life comes out of the fact that we are delighted in that we have received undeserved and unnecessary generosity from God. He goes on. The other cheek... The man who struck the one does not deserve the other. Your cloak also. No man deserves your cloak if he has made you give your coat up. The second mile. No man deserves that we should go the second mile with him when he has compelled us to go one. Notice it is not if you go with a man, but if he compels you to go one, you must go the second. You say, impractical for London. Yes, utterly, until London bends at the cross. That is Christianity. It is more than is required. The Christly soul, the man in the kingdom, is forever overfilling the measure, overstepping the necessity, doing that which no man had any right to expect from him. Those are challenging words. I don't think it's okay to just sit there and shrug off such words from Jesus and like, oh yeah, he meant something else. He meant, don't turn the other cheek. (laughs) What did he mean? He meant turn the other cheek. That's what he meant. I think only turning the other cheek and that kind of lifestyle, not kind of a slavish, okay, yeah, I have the other one. Once you've done that one, then I can really hit you, you know. But I, I... 
an overflow of grace and love. Only that can produce the supernatural response. It, can, it opens ways up for the kingdom. I remember once I probably told you the story before. I used to work at a church in South London. And I remember the, the, the doorbell went and I came down out of the office down. And I saw this guy outside the door and I thought, well, he looks dodgy. And I still opened it. <laughs> he was on those doors. And, I, and as soon as I opened it, he forced his way in. And I was like, I didn't know what to do. I started jabbering something about Jesus, you know. And then he just slapped me around the face. And, uh, and then started walking towards me. And I realized there's only one other person here in the church. Obviously, there's a lady. And she's just a young lady upstairs working, doing a year out for, for God, you know. And I'm walking, and, he, and I'm realizing he's on his way up there. And I'm the only one in between him. So my hands go like that. And he's like, oh, so you want to fight, do you? Right. And I said, I said, I said, no, I don't want to fight. And actually, I forgive you. And he said, you what? I said, actually, I forgive you. He said, you forgive me. And his eyes started filling up. I think he was an addict. She was out. Yeah, I started filling up. I said, yeah. And then he just put his hand up like that. I shook it, and he went out. <laughs> now, what? What if that hadn't worked? I would have stopped him. For her sake. But there were those moments. I remember another time when I had this new bike and I was out on it and I, don't know, I got chatting to some guys about some of the other. And I thought about Jesus, yeah, and, 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 they, and we were talking about things and they said, well, give us your bike then. And I went, all right. Gave it to him. And it was like, <laughs> he gave it back to me. It's quite interesting. It didn't, you know, I'm walking off without it thinking, what have I done, you know, and then he just called me back and said, have it. But you think, there's something, there's something there. Now, there have been other times where, you know, I've got plenty of stories where you think, oh, you don't, you really want Godly there. But the, the moments where God and his grace has helped me, you, you, there's something that comes with the message. It's an overflow. It's not just a bit of religion. It's, it's, it's an overflow. It's grace. It's grace. And I think we just need to... Uh, it's the thief on the cross, isn't it, you know? Jesus is there and he says, forgive them, Father, they don't know what they're doing. You think, what? And the thief... And one doesn't see it, one thief just stays hard. The other one, he sees it and he's like, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He's seen something. And I, I would say, as I've thought about this, I've thought, what do I think? Self-defence in terms of intentionally killing someone so I don't get killed, prohibited. I think. We believe in the gospel of the lamb who went to the slaughter and stayed silent. Didn't defend himself. Didn't kill. He, could have, he said, I could call down 72,000 angels. It's quite a lot of angels. <laughs> 12 legions, I think he said. Yeah, 72,000. Didn't. Now, you know, you've got to work this out. I know that on some of these things, it's like, oh, oh, you know, we all stand or fall before God. Ourselves, but I, I think, I think to stop someone doing something, in order to stop them harming me, okay, to intentionally kill them, it's different. The defence of others, oh, okay. Many of you would have heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Christian pastor and theologian in the Second World War, uh, German uh, pastor theologian involved in an assassination plot. Against Hitler, you probably heard about him. Um, executed days before the liberation of Berlin. Was he right? Was he wrong? Yeah. 
You're on a, pl- you're on a plane on 9-11 and you realise what's happening. What do you do? Do you, do you just say there's four guys in here that need to be killed so that 4,000 don't get killed? I'm going to kill them. What do we do? It's a logic, isn't it? If I kill this person, then many others will survive. Or, if I don't, then many may die. And potentially you think, well, it could be a sin of omission through passivity or neglect or cowardice or selfishness or burying my head in the sand if I don't do anything. Yeah, I think there's some, there's some weight in that argument. I think there's definitely some weight in that argument. If you're the person who does nothing, there's some, there's some weight there. Is it okay to take a life in order to save a life or many lives? Well, I think if that's clearly what is going on, there probably are grounds for saying, to some degree, it's commendable, particularly if it involves laying down your own life. Now you say, well, why say that? Well, just because you know for sure it's an act of love. And it really is for others. And it's really not just deep down something, some self thing that's driving it. John 15, 13, we heard it read earlier. Greater, man, greater love is no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. But I would say this, beware all evil and malice in the heart. The aim must be to save lives. And yet, there are other situations even in the Bible where it looks like someone does that. When, when Jesus is arrested, what does Peter do? Gets his sword out and cuts off the, um, uh, the servant of the high priest's ear. Interestingly, every one of the Gospels records that. Now, often you'll find, oh, three of them have got this, or two. All four were particularly struck by this moment where Peter, where Peter cut the guy. I'm sure he didn't want to get his ear. I'm sure it was a complete mishit. Uh, you, don't, you, know, you don't do that sort of thing, do you? But he just got his eye out and swings wildly and cuts the guy's ear off. What does Jesus say in not so many words? No more of this. Oh. Why? Well, because ultimately it's actually a fleshly response. Peter doesn't get what's going on. This is all orchestrated by God. So actually, it's not as simple and straightforward as it's always right to charge in because sometimes that may not be the case. It's tricky, isn't it? Many people would say that the turning point in the American civil rights movement was the moment where the, um, the authorities charged the crowd of civil rights protesters who were simply on their knees and as they charged them with dogs and whips and terrible uh, violence and malice, they simply stayed there on their knees and did nothing. It was an image that many people say that was the turning point. At that point they won. At that point they won because there was something, it was, the thing was seen for what it was. And an observation for you, the early church, the context of the early church was one of oppression, military brutality by the Romans, and their focus obviously wasn't on overturning the government or killing Caesar. That wasn't their focus. Why? Because they understood, they understood about the age that we live in means there will be empires that rise up that are evil, that are demonically inspired, that do terrible things, and that sometimes to kill the Caesar, or to, it won't necessarily change, there's a spiritual thing going on behind it. So there is discernment needed. So I have said, precarious. Precarious on this one. I think you can argue it either way. You can argue it either way. Um, death penalty. This is heavy stuff. <laughs> 
Sorry, I just thought, well, you know, as I prepared, all these different things came to mind. So I thought, oh, we've got to do them. Romans 13, 1 to 4. I just wanted to make up for saying next to nothing last week. So, <laughs> in the evolution sermon. Right, okay. Uh, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, wherever, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. This teaches us that God's vengeance, we said earlier, do not take revenge, leave it to God. It can take two forms. One is through earthly authorities established by God in this age, punishing wrongdoers. And here that is the sword, it's the sentence of death. The other is God's judgment on the day of judgment. Okay? So there is no biblical argument against the death penalty. There isn't. The obvious difficulties around it are being sure, firstly, that the person is guilty. There have been numbers of high-profile cases down the ages where the the death penalty has been uh, given and the person has been executed one way or another and then evidence has come to light and it's like this person was innocent. You think, well, try quashing that. What can you do? Horrific. So there's a big deal there. And the other, another argument would be often a Christian argument would be, what about grace? What about second chance? That's the, often a, an argument that's, that's given uh, from a Christian perspective. But I would say that biblically, it's permitted. I don't think you can... I think you can, out of conscience, say I don't agree with it, sure. I don't think you can argue strongly biblically that it's, that it's um, prohibited. I think it's permitted. Um, and let's never, let's never forget that the one we serve, the one we follow, was an executed innocent, executed unjustly. There, there, was no, there was no wrong in him, perfect in every way, delightful, beautiful, and he executed, brutally killed. Not that says particularly much about the death penalty itself, but I think what it does is it helps us to to remember the ultimate injustice is always Calvary, the crucifixion. That's the ultimate injustice. And yet there, at that point, the cross, that's where we find our salvation and we find our peace. Because we know that God put him forward as a propitiation, as as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then finally, war. Holy wars, just wars, kinds of wars. War is I was brought up with a very romantic view of war. My dad convinced me he was in the Vietnam War. <laughs> He'd put on an American accent and tell me these stories, and I was utterly convinced that he was in it. And I was really disappointed when I realised that he wasn't, and that scar was nothing to do with, you know, the war. But uh, I was brought up with a very romantic view of war. Me, myself and my dad would play uh, war games for hours. You know, I remember visiting him once and he'd set up this in time. The living room was a battle scene set up. And um, yeah, wonderful, wonderful. It was brilliant fun. 
But what it did in me, it put in me this idea of war that was very romantic. And in those days, war films were romantic. They really were. You know, you, the, the guy with the gun, and he'd get shot, and it's like a little sort of red bit of tomato ketchup, you know. And then the music would play in the background, and it'd sort of carry on, even though he was injured. And, and, then, and then the Vietnam War films came out. Hamburger Hill, Platoon, and others like it. And it get, showed you what war was like. And then Saving Private Ryan came out. And then all of us get to realise, this thing is horrific. And there are many, many people who cannot even, when they come back for war, for the rest of their life, speak about it. Because of what they've seen and what they've experienced. So traumatic. War is a terrible, terrible thing. And yet we can't get away from the fact there is much war in the Bible. The Bible presents God in many facets, one of them as warrior and a dread champion. What do we make of that? And the Bible is clear that God will war against destructive things. Those things that threaten his creation... He will war against. The just war concept is an important one to think through. Maybe World War II was a classic example of a just war. Maybe it was. Whereby if, if no one had taken up arms, then you know, the, the, the Nazi forces would have swept through the globe. I think if we agree with the concept of just war, then we've, we've got to think about our own personal role in it. So my granddad fought in World War II to, some, to an extent in, from the point of view that he was in North Africa uh, where, there was, uh, where, where, where um, Montgomery and others were, were, were leading the charge against Rommel in North Africa. Where he, but actually he didn't fight. He was, uh, he, he was involved in the Air Force and he was involved in basically work at, at, where, where the planes would come in and go out. He would direct them in, etc. Et so you can think, so okay, I agree with the cause but I don't want to kill someone. So I'm going to join in the cause but I'm either going to be a medic and train that way or in some other way where I'm going to kill someone or you can have a gun which isn't loaded. You all laugh. But the very famous pastor, Dennis Balkan from Hong Kong, he fought in the Vietnam War with an unloaded gun. He refused to load it. He didn't put anything in it. Why? He wasn't going to kill anyone. So there's issues of conscience surrounding it. I would say that war is, one, is, is precarious. You've got to make a call. You've got, to, you've got to be able to say one way or the other. I think biblically you can go this way or that way. Big movement called Christian pacifism that would argue very strongly against being, Christian being involved in any kind of war. But um, I think you've got to know before God what you believe and why. What I do know is this, is that the cross was a mighty victory. And the ultimate, the ultimate battle in the ultimate war, we find ourselves with a backdrop of spiritual warfare. As Christians, we are to engage in war, aren't we? Not against people but against powers and principalities and spiritual forces of wickedness, we are to engage in that. You cannot sit passive, passively by in that. If so, you're just going to get hit. We had a whole series on that. Ephesians 6. Jesus, at the cross, won the ultimate victory over Satan. The Bible says that he stripped the demonic powers of their authority at the cross. And so now, although the battle still rages, we, we know that Satan has been defeated. Satan knows has been defeated, even though it's a matter of time, until all, the, all of Jesus' enemies are gathered under his feet. And at that point, we know that he will return and redeem all things, and we will be with him forever. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. Q&A. Get a microphone for you, Laura. Sure you've got a few questions there. One or two. Okay. Good height? I don't want to be... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll get, oh, no, I'll get it wrong. Sorry. Go on. <laughs> um, okay, if we maybe go back to some of the things you covered of first. First of yes. all, that might be a good place to start. Yes, yes. Um, 
lots and lots of people were texting the same question, so I think it's important Ooh, to ask. Okay, yep. um, if a Christian commits suicide, would they still go to heaven? Mm. You're asking the wrong question. Just thinking about this. You're asking the wrong question. If you're asking it, you're probably asking it for one of two reasons. Either you know someone who professed to be a Christian that has committed suicide and you're thinking, well, where are they now? Only God knows. In fact, it's much broader than those who commit suicide. Only God knows those who are truly his. I think there's going to be a whole bunch of surprises <laughs> on the final day. I really do. Um, I think those who, those who think, you, you will think you're going to be, uh, are going to be first will probably be last and the last first. And God's, God is very, very surprising in his ways. And so I think we don't know. People are saying questions about you know, babies that die in the womb and all that kind of thing. We entrust ourselves to a good and wise creator. The other reason why you might be asking is because you might be considering suicide yourself and thinking, well, that jeopardised my salvation. Um, you, that really is the wrong question. It really, really is the wrong question. If you, if you believe Christian truth enough to be asking that question, then I will just ask you to believe Christian truth enough to believe Jesus to pull you out of this season. Really important. That is the wrong question, and so I'm not going to answer it because it really is. It's so that yeah, I thought in advance what I was going to answer to that question because <laughs> I understand it's big, but I think genuinely it's really the wrong question to be asking for both those reasons. Yeah. And um, there are lots of questions about um, extending the end of life in in illness and technology and medicine. Yeah. Um, wow. I think maybe one that that links in a lot of the others would be sort of with today's technology, people are often kept alive, whereas in the past or sort of naturally, if you like, they wouldn't have been. Yeah. Um, so, is there anything wrong in choosing or choosing on someone's behalf for them not to have treatments, almost sort of passively? Sure speeding up the end of their life I think we have every freedom to choose to choose to have treatment or pass it by I think we do I think you've got to have a freedom of choice in that I know when Davina was diagnosed with cancer there's a choice do you want to have chemotherapy or not we all knew how people talk about how horrible chemotherapy was do we really want to go through that you know um, and, and all of that and you, you have a choice to make the choice was a real choice that we made that we made together obviously ultimately Davina had to make it, but we talked about it together and prayed about it. And we absolutely, there is a choice that we have in these things, um, and we've got to think through our choices and where do those choices lead and where do they go. And at what at what point do you end up fundamentally um, so um, plugging so many gaps and doing so many things? You just think where, where this is going to lead us into a real ethical conundrum at some point you've got, to, you've got to think it through and ask that question I mean I think you know, if I, if I see someone on the street bleeding, I have a moral responsibility to do what I can to plug that wound absolutely and I will do all I can yeah, preserving life when I have to when, you know, when, when someone who really probably can't, can no longer breathe by themselves has the chance to be Plugged into a machine. At that point, the decision is not so straightforward. It isn't, and I'm not going to tell you which decision to make. You've got to make it, but it's not the same decision as that. It's a different thing, and you've got to be able to have the freedom before God 
to make that decision. Yeah, hope that. By way of principle helps. I know there's always, every, every own situation has its own particular idiosyncrasy. Oh, what about that? I'm trying to just keep bringing principles to help you with that. Um, there are lots of questions. Sorry, this has been tough. Lots of questions about self-defence, yeah. but self-defence sort of going short of killing someone. Yes. So, how far we take the principle of turning of the cheek? If you're attacked in the street, do you let mm. it happen? If someone intrudes in your house, do you? To what extent yes. is reasonable force to be yeah. used? The law's definition to be used a different definition. Yeah. Wow. Great question. Um, so you know, if we're sleeping in bed at night and we hear a noise, which occasionally you do, you know. I'll be out of bed and I'll be down, down the stairs looking as much like Bruce Lee as I can, you know. And, and at that point, <laughs> at that point, I'm, re- I'm ready for action, yeah? As, as unimpressive as, as that might be, I, I, I'm ready for action. Primarily, primarily for the four people upstairs, to be honest. But if I was living by myself... I probably still, you know, I'd probably, I, I imagine, I imagine if I came downstairs and someone was taking stuff and I caught them, I'd just say, like, I'd, and they, but clearly they wanted to just go with the stuff, I'd let them go. And, you know, I wouldn't just, I wouldn't just let them go because I'm scared of them, I'd, I'd bless them. <laughs> Seriously, I would bless them. No biggie. I'd love them, do you want anything else, you know? It's, it, it, that's the principle, cloak, tunic. Do you need anything else? I've only got the Wii, but there's some games down there. They're great. <laughs> Seriously. I'm serious. That is not, like, that's not, in, you mustn't be incredulous. That's what Jesus is teaching. Okay? If that person drops the Wii and comes at me, then I've got some other decisions to make. Yeah? And I think it's probably, I think, I don't know, what would I say? So I'm in the house by myself, and he comes at me. I'd probably let him have a couple of hits. Probably just, and I think, where's this thing going? You know? And if I, if I get to a point where I realise, it's just going to keep going. Then I would, I would do something. But I, I, I would resist. I would resist just getting into a pile-up straight away. But I think when it's, as it is, with four people upstairs, um, only one of those four that could probably fight better than me, uh, <laughs> I would... Um, <laughs> I think I would probably be a bit more I would I would be more I would still do the same thing with the possessions, but if they came at me, I'd be straight. I'd be straight in. Yeah. And i you know, I'd pick things up, I'd use whatever I needed to use. I'd do whatever I needed to, to do to stop that person getting upstairs. Yeah, I would. Would I be looking to kill that person? No, I wouldn't be looking to kill that person. But I would be looking to absolutely stop that person. Can you be a Christian and be in the army? Yeah, loads of Christians are in the army. Absolutely, you can be, in the Christ- be a Christian and be in the army. Yep. Go on. But that was the question. <laughs> should? <laughs> are they right to be in it? Well, th- should, should you be, a, or is, is being in the army a good choice for a Christian to make? Well, I said precarious. For war, so when I'm, what I mean by precarious is issue, it's an issue of conscience. So I think if your conscience is troubling you in doing so, you're in sin because you're not listening to your conscience. As a Christian, you must listen to your conscience. If you can do it with a clear conscience, then it's fine. 
if we go if we jump back a little bit um, just, uh, talking yeah. about about suicide had a message saying did samson who's often seen as a bible hero <laughs> um not kill himself it's as you would say when you've gone through good point i would say samson's suicide was very very different from judas's suicide samson's was one one last victory lord even at the expense of my life was the mentality yeah it was it was one last one last one last killing of some philistines which under that uh what's the word under that uh, epoch help me someone with a mixture of vocabulary and theological knowledge covenant yeah we got covenant it's not exactly but okay. under that covenant was appropriate so he, it, was, it, was, it was a victory for God at the expense of his own life rather than Judas, which was just remorse. It was just, just, that's all it was, it was remorse. Now just, I want you to understand quickly on Judas. At the same time Judas betrayed Jesus, Jesus Peter denied Jesus three times. Now I know one is definitely, it's, it's different from the other one, it's premeditated, I know all of that. But I, I would have imagined both in, would have been feeling the weight of what have I done? That, that, that sense of looking in the mirror thinking, who is this person? One found forgiveness and redemption. The other was crushed by remorse. There is forgiveness and redemption for the vilest things. You must not be crushed by remorse. One more. One more. Yeah. Um. Going back sort of in reference to self-defence and, and talking about turning the cheek. Yes. Um, at what point do we, do we start to sort of worry about ourselves or be concerned with our own welfare? So if we always give up pokes and turn the cheeks, won't we end up sort of unequipped to survive physically and emotionally and psychologically? Um... What you've got to realise is that when Jesus says turn the other cheek, there's nothing to do with fear. He's the most fearless person to have ever lived. It's all to, all to do with love. So, so it's about living a fear-free, love-filled life. That's what it's about. That's what Jesus is talking about. So psychologically, it's not damaging. Okay? It's not like someone tried to attack me and, 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 I, and I let them get away with it and now I'm really freaked out walking down the street. No, that's not what Jesus is talking about. It, um, so I don't... I think, Psychologically, emotionally, you've misunderstood what it is. With regards to, well, you won't have any jumpers left. Just buy some more. It probably won't happen that often. When was the last time someone said, give us your coat? You know, it doesn't happen every week, does it? They should live in Hackney. <laughs> Joke. Okay. <laughs> but, yeah? So it, we, what we can do is, we can, we can make up Crazy arguments like, if I give these shoes away, then I won't have any more. It's like, just buy some. I mean, it's, I don't know. If I'm, just buy some shoes. It's okay. Or, or, better still, the person who wants your shoes say, why don't I just buy you some? Let's go, let's go, let's go to Foot Locker. And we'll get a burger on the way. Sort we out some nice trainers. See, what's happening there is that that person is... That person is getting hit by the juggernaut of the gospel. Yeah? This is not religion, is it? This is like, what the heck is this? It's the gospel. We can't do this naturally. Don't go out here and say, right, now I'm really getting... No. Say, God, give me more of your spirit. 
I want to live like you, and I can't do it alone. So, uh, you know, if I, if, I was, if I get up and say things that makes you think, oh, yeah, yeah, I can do that, I'm not preaching the gospel. Yeah? Jesus is extraordinary. He's welcomed us into his life as a free gift as we've just turned to him. And now he empowers us to live supernaturally. And we're all on that journey of learning what that looks like more and more. But let's not tame it down into something very normal and usual. Let's let it remain supernatural and inexplicable. Because I think, I think that's what the world needs to see. People that just leave, leave them going, what is this? You know when Peter says, have an answer ready for those who ask? People don't ask me much. In the last six months, one person has said something spontaneously and I've been like, wow, you know. They, they just noticed something about me. They just in Pret-a-Manger and said something. I was like, oh, that's amazing, you know. It doesn't happen. I think, well, God have mercy on me. So that more and more there are people asking questions because they're like, you know. And I'm sure many of you get asked so much because, you know, many of you are so amazing. But I just let's keep asking Jesus to help us with that. Amen? Amen. Amen.